Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton, and Natalie Campbell. This week, we find out how to have kids and a job and stay sane-ish with Christine Armstrong, author of The Mother of All Jobs, and businesswoman and author Shah Wasmond is here telling us how to fix our shit. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Now, if you or your partner are thinking about or in the process of having a child then you've definitely had a conversation about how do we balance work and family and our next guest is here to hopefully give us some answers christine armstrong is the author of the mother of all jobs how to have children and a career and stay sane ish hello christine welcome thanks for having me um can you tell us a little bit about the book and what it was that drove you to write it well, uh, yeah, so I, I had a lovely job in an ad agency and um, I had a baby and I just thought things would sort of go back to normal. It would be fine. And um, and it didn't really work out that way. It was kind of a disaster and I kind of got pushed out of my job and uh, panicked and I got a really rubbish job in a really heavy hours culture in a research agency. It was a total and utter disaster and I didn't know what to do and it was, it was really long hours and I couldn't get home. I was getting really depressed and frustrated and I really didn't know what to do. So I thought, I, what I'll do is I'll have another baby. And I thought then I could your maternity leave and kind of escape and that sort of made it quite a lot worse really I mean she's lovely but you know the whole thing was a disaster so then I thought okay I'll go and interview some women who know how to do this because I'm clearly just a moron I don't know what the heck I'm doing and you know I'll just go and interview people and I used to write for Management Today magazine so I'll just write it up and then other people can read it so I went and did that and um, I met these amazing women like really successful real leaners and you know they would tell me stuff and then they'd tell me some stuff off the record and say you can't say that I'd be all right you know fair enough and then quite often not always but quite often I'd meet them socially afterwards or they'd say let's have a drink or a chat and I realized that actually their lives were much much more complicated than they were able to say when their job and their title was attached to it and that actually a lot of them were really really struggling and it just became clear to me that you know we get this very sanitized version of working and and being a parent from people who are monumentally successful who have a lot of nannies and these were Mm. very privileged women that I was interviewing they did have nannies often they did have private schools and they were still losing it you know and I was kind of like well then how is it for everyone else you know if they can't do it so then I went and interviewed lots of other much more ordinary families for the book so that, that was where it came from. So you said you when you went back to work after both your first and your second child it was really complicated and difficult mm. and we know that most workplaces today they put a lot of time and effort into maternity policies return to work policies um, you should have the right to ask for flexible working it should all be very straightforward etc etc but what were some of the 
problems that you kept finding yourself bumping up against? So I think um, I think those things do exist in some organisations. I think there are still a lot of organisations that uh, talk a lot of stuff, talk a lot about those things, and in reality, don't make any real concessions. Mm-hmm. So I was in a research agency where uh, the the team I worked with would call everything after six o'clock the second day. <laughs> Most people would work until ten or eleven o'clock at night, get taxis yeah. home, eat dinner in the office, um, and so there was just this like real pressure. And I felt really part time if I kind of left at a sort of normal kind of you know London working day six o'clock you're still home at seven you've still been out of the house nearly 12 Mm. hours um I also I I was you know I'd really taken on the breast is best so I was still feeding um and and then I got sent on a trip to Austin Texas uh which was somewhat disastrous because my breast pump didn't work it's like two in the morning (laughs) crying and being whizzed around Austin Texas in a taxi trying to build a a hand pump which I'd never used in my life and like then going to a breakfast meeting like gee how'd you sleep I'm like fine fine um so it was just you know there wasn't a lot that you know I was working with very senior men who'd had you know grown up in an old-fashioned breadwinner Mm. model you know they'd been in the office full-time and they'd had wives at home who maybe had a half job you know local you know a bit part-time and ran their houses and then another generation who didn't have kids funny I was out with them yesterday actually and they've all got kids now and they look at me really differently but that time they didn't get it at all and and I don't blame them for that because I didn't when I was them but they just didn't understand either. So I just felt very isolated, very lonely and quite stressed. Do you think that we have created a bit of a superwoman culture? Mm. You see, when you're interviewing these women, that they kind of were like, oh, yeah, I've got a few problems, but basically this is how I do it. And then after a glass of wine, we're like, no, it's all falling apart. Apart from the divorce and the lawsuit <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and my children's mental health. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we have done that. And I think it's really well-intentioned. So I think there's a generation of women in the 70s, 80s, 90s who are like, right, we want equality at work. We're going to work really, really hard. And it's like, it's a real responsibility. Mm. And you've got to take women with you. And that's why people go on panels. And, you know, I interview women who do that. Go on panels. It's all fine. Just got to work really hard. Get great childcare. And then when you speak to them, go, oh, it's really, really hard out here. And so I think for very good good intentions we've created this myth where we say it's possible to do it and in 25 years we all know you know uh our day working days have got longer anyway not our contracts but the hours that we actually work mm-hmm. we've got always on we've got people who are connected to work from the moment they wait to the moment we've got two parents who need to be working if there are two parents in the household uh because of you know we know what's happened to house prices so we've created all these additional pressures in the last 20 25 years and we haven't then figured out how our kids or anyone else we have to care for you know parents pets uh, have to fit into that and and then everybody sat in their kitchen looking at their partner or looking in the mirror going why have I got this wrong what's wrong with me why can't I do it and looking at the partner going with you what are we doing it and they you know they go and buy a bigger whiteboard and they get a slow cooker and they're like no it's still still not working (laughs) still not happening is is there a solution though or 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 is it just the fact that we are in a bit of a state and it needs some working out so I think there's two different bits I think structurally we haven't been honest about the fact that we expect families we basically have this huge social pressure that people will probably both work if there are two parents in a household and we don't have the support for that so we've got 33 hours from the age of three uh, but you can't use that to retrain you can't use it to interview and most most so many women are pushed out either by discrimination uh, or because they just can't afford early years childcare so they're out of the workforce by then and then we later hold companies responsible for the pay gap but we don't address this middle period and you know even the Labour government's like free childcare from two like what are you going to do between birth and two like are we going to have two year maternity 
what are we doing here? What, the length of the school day, all of that stuff is really tricky. How do we manage our tech so that we're not always expected to be on? And then there's stuff that you as a household can do. And I think there is stuff, it's not going to be perfect, but you need to make loads of decisions and be much, much smarter than I was and go, right, this is our boundaries. This is how it's going to work. This is our household household. We're not going to have one kid at one school and one kid at another school because, you know, that because they're a bit different or whatever. We've got to make this work for our house and we've just got to be brutal. There's that thing about we've just got to be brutal and I think there's that... That's actually the advice that I hear from the mums that I see kind of have it together. You know, the ones that say, actually, I know you want me to turn up to every football match, but I can't. So you tell me the ones that are important. I'll turn up to those. The other ones, you're just going to have to get on with it. Yeah. Or, you know, they're the ones that sort of have very clear, you can call me on a Friday afternoon, but I'm not picking up. So that's the that's at the end of it. Uh, they're the ones that send the very passive-aggressive emails back to the school being like, please redirect this to my house husband. Yeah. And, yeah. But it takes quite a lot to it do does. that because you're flying in the face of everyone else around you telling you what it is to be a good mother. Yeah. Playing devil's advocate a bit Come more. Uh, Kirsty, <laughs> relocation, location, location. Oh, yeah. That one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, said we should just have babies when we're younger. And that way, have all the babies, stay at home when it's all much cheaper and then go to work. Is that a solution? I love Kirsty, actually, and I kind of love her outspokenness. It might be a solution for some people. I think it's a bit naive, ironically, given her job, about house prices, you know. <laughs> are you, you, know are, you know, where are you going to live? How are you going to pay rent in this period? Yeah. Um, you know, how is that going to work? And also, I did, um, I actually wrote an article where I tried to interview people who'd done it that way around, and there were a lot more in the generation ahead of us and a lot fewer in our generation. It's very hard, having not worked until you're 35, to go and get a job these days, because it's not how we expect things to be yeah. whereas previous generations said at 35 my husband left or you know I needed money or whatever and I went and was his PA and I got promoted and everybody expect, ex- accepted that so I think it's a I, I kind of I totally get her point mm-hmm. but I don't think it's an easy thing to do in practice I think the boundaries point I mean the thing with this stuff is the reason you're so vulnerable and so crackers and god knows I was really crackers <laughs> for a while is that you have so much social pressure you know you've got other people going this is what good motherhood looks like you've got people at work going this is what a good professional looks like got all the mums at the school gate look at you going your kids always snotty and filthy and late and you're like yeah it's probably true so you know you've got a lot on you and I think you're right the people who just kind of go through the hellfire and then go right this doesn't work I'm gonna have to put some stuff down I mean I have like we live on the Isle of Dogs in East London which is quite a small place and quite geographically limited I don't let my kids go to any clubs that are not on the island which is like a mile (laughs) no I don't care if you want to do gymnastics it's not on the island we're not doing it because I know that I can't manage it I've got three kids now and I I, you know I don't want to be cross all the time Mm. so you know if we can get there and it's around the corner fine Christina we're going to keep chatting to you after this break because we want to know we want to know the secrets how does it work Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio she'll get you talking here at Badass Women's RXL, we are talking to Christine Armstrong, author of The Mother of All Jobs, about how to have kids and a job and stay sane-ish. Uh, Christine, when we talk about, when I talk to my girlfriends about how they manage careers and children, uh, I remember the advice that I give them, that they give each other, is throw money at the problem. And that's because they've got good jobs and they can. Is that good advice? 
It's okay to a point. I think one of the things that I see is that some families or households really trap themselves financially, though. They do this thing, and we, we you know, a lot of people do it, I, I did it, where you have a baby and suddenly you go, right, I need a proper house, right? I need a proper house with a garden because babies need a garden. I need, I can't drive around this rubbish car. I need a, a proper sensible car. I need a really lovely buggy, and I'm going to spend some money on that. And I want a nursery that looks really lovely. And suddenly you're in this habit, right, you, where you're setting up cost structures that are really hard hard to maintain going forward and then when actually it's really hard and you're knackered and you know you really want to be more at home or feel you need to be later on you can't do a three-day week because you can't pay the bills uh you can't move to both of you doing four days you can't throw money at stuff you can't afford the babysitter when actually your marriage is really needing a little bit of attention so it it can help and you know if you can afford a cleaning lady then you know don't hold back if that's you know if that's the thing that needs you to be saying but don't set up costs that are going to kill you later and not give you room to maneuver and change as one of the things because i i didn't base it on my own experience i interviewed you know hundreds of parents and and also teachers and social workers and gps and one of the things that comes up so clearly is it doesn't get easier when they get older it's just different mm. so there are women who have teenagers who say i wish i could take maternity leave now because mm. actually i feel like my kids really need my attention mm-hmm. now so it's not you know we get over this two-year hump and we throw money at it and it'll be fine How much does flexible working play into taking the pressure off parents? Right, okay, this is a good dimension. This is interesting. So flexible working can really, really help. Unless it is so, one of the, the one of the traps here is sometimes mums will move to a three or four day week and not realise that part of the psychological deal that they have entered into without noticing is that they will then be responsible for everything at home. Mm. And so, even though they're still doing quite a big job, they suddenly realise that where they did have a bit of split with the cooking, the cleaning, everything else, they don't, and that is bad. That can work out really horribly. And then they're like, "I'm still got a demanding job, and I'm a housewife." But I don't have time to do that. And that's terrible for relationships. So I think it can really help, but you do need to find breathing space for yourself. And I think some sort of equality where you recognise each other's needs is really important. Uh, In the book, you talk about dads as the lead parent. Yeah. Tell us more. Okay, so there's a trend towards dad doing more at home, which is great. Some dads love it. They're really, really happy doing it. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of things that go with it that you just want to be aware of. Not in all cases, uh, you know, some dads love it, are happy, get on with it, great. Some of them feel very insecure about telling other particularly men what they do. So they, you know, I've interviewed dads who'd be like, I just dread people saying, and what do you do then? And they, some of them, you know, would rather not go out than do that. Mm -hmm. They also find it quite hard sometimes, depending on where they live, to find other dads who are also at home and so they'll be like you know well Tara from the PTA whatever isn't going to invite me out to the coffee morning at her house when other people might be breastfeeding or they're talking about the Zara sale and when I do get invited I realise I don't want to be there anyway so there's a bit of social isolation that you've got to overcome and some dads have done that really well and like support sports teams or scouts or whatever they find kind of ways around it but that can be isolating and then the third risk is that sometimes uh, their partners will come through the door and be like well the kids might be alive but have you seen the state of this house and and why are the children eating fish fingers for the fourth night in a row and there is a bit of if dad's going to do it then you've if you're the mum you've just got to let them get on with it and you've just got to go okay that's fine they have worn the same school skirt every single day this week and that's okay but that can be hard and then the alpha alpha 
Yeah. So sometimes you get two parents who both have root jobs they're really it's emotionally committed to. They're not necessarily brilliantly paid, but they tend to be sort of higher earners and they both have long hours. Um, and that does give you the option to do the pay for, pay for. Uh, it can lead to, uh, if you don't communicate about it well enough, one of them being uh, competitiveness, like who's going to take the day off when somebody's sick, mm-hmm. who's going to go home early, like real tensions with that. My job's more important, my job's more important. Um, and it can also sort of sometimes, I think when you interview them, they will step back and go, sometimes I think the kids get a bit lost in that. Um, one mum told me that actually uh, she hadn't realised that her daughter was being bullied at secondary school and hadn't been turning up. And she kind of thought her husband was closer to the situation because she'd been travelling for work and he kind of thought she was. And it was really only when school got really involved and then she was sick to her stomach. So, you know, you just got to make sure you know where it all sits. It's such a... It's, it's yeah. tough, yeah. I know. Yeah. You've got to laugh about it and you've got to talk about it. You've got to share it because saying it's all fine makes everybody feel like a failure. Yeah. Saying it's really tough, but there's some stuff that you might know that might help, I think is better. But then I'm also then multiplying it by what if you're a single parent? Yeah. What if um, you are on uh, low income yeah. with multiple children? I think about my grandma and all the neighbours who raised like six, 11 kids. Yeah. And you know, had to get the bus to places. And so do you think over time we've made parenting harder? Yeah, we have. I think expectations are higher. I think when you when you interview households that are really hard up, and I've interviewed lots of single parents and lots of people who are on benefits or a combination of jobs and benefits Mm. because their jobs aren't paying enough, um, what you find is you find different structures, so different issues to what we've been talking about in a sort of a middle class sort of way, professional jobs, is you're doing lots of swapping of childcare. So Mm. lots of, you know, you take my kids, I'll take your kids. Mm. So the new, you know, people like Asda rewriting contracts, so people's hours are unpredictable. That is monumentally stressful. Um, you know, someone's saying that her and her mum, you know, kind of split childcare and now mum doesn't know when she's going to be working or not. And that's just really destabilising to families. I think also this idea of how involved we are as parents and what our parent, what we do with kids is massive. It's mm. such a big issue. You know, like I interviewed this mum in Ireland not long ago and she was like, I feel like when my children are at home and she stopped work to be with them, I have to be engaged with them all the time. Like I need to be playing with them. And then I can't do any cooking and I can't clean the house. So I, like thinking about to you know parents of our childhood <laughs> just yeah. like come back at tea yeah you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> um as long as you're with someone you know don't yeah. worry about it and so we've created this like you know sort of pressure cooker where people feel like i'm failing if i'm not doing a jigsaw yeah that's rubbish yeah. isn't it and that's definitely the difference between my friends that raise kids earlier versus my friends that are having kids in no. their 30s mm. they want to do everything perfect and there's so much knowledge now right there's so much knowledge about psychology and so much about you know doing the right thing for your kids so Mm -hmm. that they're you know good adults you know well my parents have had access to that information they're a fabulous adult I mean, I'm not going to take all the credit. You'd blame her if it was going wrong. (laughs) Christine, did you interview anyone that you thought, wow, they have actually got it sorted? Yeah, I did. And I just, I'm not big on perfection. And I really don't like, I don't do that showcase where you go, and this family, woo hoo hoo. Because every family, when you get really, if you only get, 
the, the good stuff, then you've only got gloss, yeah, right? So yeah. there's always something. I think it goes back to families that have talked about it, that have made active decisions, that have gone, right, we're going to move out, we're going to earn less money, we're going to do it like this, we're going to split it like this, we're going to be engaged with our kids to a point, and then it's going to be like, they just need to get on with stuff. You know, you meet those families, you're like, okay, that was really smart. And they've made much longer term decisions. So yeah, you definitely, definitely do. But often it comes a bit later. Often it's sort of down the line, people kind of get it. Now you've got all the knowledge, what is the one thing you would go back in time and do differently? Um, why only one? I mean, how long, <laughs> how long have I mean, you got? Yeah. I would have... Uh, blimey. Um, uh, I don't even know where to start. I wouldn't have worked full-time. I wouldn't have tried to keep up with those hours. I would have declined a lot of those business trips. I would have worried much less about my job for mm. that period. I'd have given myself a much bigger break and just said, do your job, do as good a job as you can go home and be engaged at home as well because I, I i think i pushed it you know i think it, if i hadn't have got a grip i, I don't know where we'd be now mm. christine it's been lovely chatting to you thank you so much uh christine armstrong mother of all jobs how to have children and a career and stay sane ish is out now it's brilliant advice beautifully written very funny and entertaining christine thank you so much thank for joining so us Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. I'm going to warn you now, that song is a very different vibe to our next yeah. guest. Michelle Wilson, hello! <laughs> hello, ladies! <laughs> Welcome to Badass Women's Hour. Oh uh, my God, I just love it already. Just the name of the show, that's enough for me. If you do not know Michelle, she is a businesswoman, extraordinaire and best-selling author several times over, including her new books, How to Fix Your... Very naughty swear word. It's um, not that it's naughty. Not, well, I mean, it doesn't start with an F, so it can't no. be that naughty, yeah. right? I mean, that's don't worry, a I'm very not different book. That is a different book. Uh, tell us about this book, though, my darling. How to Fix Your Bleep. What is it all about? 
So most authors, I think you find, write books based on their own experiences. And I've certainly had enough of my own bleep to fix. Um, <laughs> but also, I'm just a big fan of writing consumable content. Yeah. I feel and like we've, I'm so sorry, Shell. We've got like something vibrating somewhere. Thank you, That's Natalie. Me, I wasn't oh, thank you, God. I was my puppy. No I was like... looking at me. No, she was looking at me. I thought, I thought, I thought your puppy. stomach was grumbling. Oh, I thought you said it was your puppy. Yeah, my puppy in my lap. Oh, the dog. Oh my God, I just hit the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a puppy. Sorry. That's it's her birthday. She's brought her oh new puppy God, into the sorry. studio with us. He's <laughs> <laughs> giving you the side eye there, Shell. He's like, babes, you didn't see me. <laughs> Number one way to fix your stuff, yeah. get a puppy. Okay. Right, she'll bring it Rewind, rewind, rewind. rewind. <laughs> Tell us, so, yes. Um, so I, I want to write consumable content because I don't know about you, but I'd say 90% of all my books in my house, and I have hundreds of them, and they're beautifully OCD, colour-coordinated. <laughs> they look amazing. But I haven't read all of them. Like, yeah, I haven't yeah. finished them. I've started them, but I haven't finished them. So for me, I was way more interested in writing books that could provide people with the tools to help themselves to change their own lives. Like, I don't think I'm a guru. I don't think I can, I can make you anything. But I do think that you can do it for yourself. And just sometimes we stand in our own way. And all you need is just a little change of perspective, just one little idea that makes you think, oh, hold on a second, that sounds like that could work, or that sounds like me, let me try that. I don't want to win literary prizes. I just genuinely just want to help people live their best lives because so, we've only got one of them. Mm. I want to ask you because you are one of the most motivated people I've ever seen. So I mm. follow you on social media and occasionally I'll have like a bit of insomnia early on in the morning and I'll wake up at five o'clock and there's Shell doing like a Facebook Live at five o'clock because I'm awake and I just want to talk about things. You are motivated. If people don't have your levels of motivation... Can, asking for can a friend. Get them? Can they get them? Are you asking for a friend? <laughs> a hun- or like, is it is it innate or is it something you require? Truthfully, I think it is a little bit of both. Like for those of you who who or if you don't, you know, I, I come from a a very challenging childhood. I've been through an awful lot of stuff in my life, really serious life stuff. I lost my partner, my son's dad, when he was only three and a half. And I think those things are momentous times when you could just go so far inwards that you never come out. And and I'm not going to pretend that I got out of that by myself. It took having just amazing people in my life, having the type of 3am friends that when your fire goes out, they're not like Rumi says, just there to fan the flames. They actually bring the wood and the kindling <laughs> and they're the fire starters. And I think that's really important because I love the fact that you say I'm motivational and I appreciate that. But you know what? Do you know what's more important than the motivation? Discipline. Mm. Because discipline Mm. dominates motivation every single time. So if you think about your fitness, right? If you want to change your fitness for... So I wanted to start running. I've got asthma. I couldn't run a mile. So the way I handled it was I would rather go and run for a mile, even if I walked half of it, but do it for consistency then tell myself I was going to run three miles and think, oh, I don't have the time or it's raining or... Because the moment you slip out of that discipline, that's when the bad habits start creeping back in. So motivation is passing, but it's the discipline to keep doing what you know you want to do, even when you don't feel like it in the moment. But over your career, you've obviously crafted this discipline and you started out in the boxing world. (laughs) I did indeed. (laughs) So what are some of the lessons from what would have been 
a completely wild ride. Firstly, my 5am wake-up call. What were you doing really? in the boxing? Like, what was your job? Oh, so this is just... I have... So I, I'm so grateful. Like, I have had, like, probably 20 careers in one lifetime. <laughs> um, I was at the London School of Economics, studying economics, and I don't say that to be bougie, but to give you some context for what I'm going to say next. Most of my peer group went into the city work for, you know, JP Morgan, Citibank, me... I went and worked with Don King. I went and became the, the only licensed female boxing manager at the time. I worked with Chris Eubank. I put on his fight with Nigel Bennett Old Trafford. I then went and did about 23, 25 world title fights with promoters in the UK. I did a ton of fights with Don King out in the States. <laughs> The Boxing Board of Control is literally around Amazing. the corner. <laughs> like, Amazing. I got my licence around there. And I had this economics degree and I thought to myself, I, this is just not me. Mm. I don't want to go and work in do the you city. Think, do you think the economics degree, though, helped you think about business, though, and about money? No, not at all. I still can't do a spreadsheet properly. I just know how to make money. What yeah. I'm really good at is understanding people. Yeah, so okay. whether it was working in boxing and understanding people in a negotiation... I then got incredibly lucky and I met Sir James Dyson before anybody knew who he was. I spent five years working with James. I started working around his kitchen table in Bath. And the same thing, what worked there was the same thing. It's like we didn't have any money for above-the-line advertising then, so we had to build this brand from nothing. But what I understood was people, and I understood mm. that James is an incredible guy who is so passionate. And when you looked at the time in the CEOs of Hoover and Miele and Electrolux, they were so boring. So from a PR perspective, it was obvious. Like, James was going to wipe the floor with everyone through his pure passion and dedication for his craft. And I think the, the economics degree... I'm a big fan of universities, despite the the debt that you get into, because I think you, you create lifelong friendships. Mm. I think that the discipline is really good. Stretching your mind is really good. I hope my son wants to go to university, but truthfully, I don't think it helps that much when it comes to what you actually choose to do in your career, unless, of course you know, you're going to be a brain surgeon, in which case, please carry on yeah. with your university <laughs> studies. So is this book then, having you, like, burst into here with this, like, you're just massively inspiring, is this book all your words of wisdom, like, everything you've learned? Because I just feel like you've really lived and really, like, you know how to make money and how to do business and how to live a good life. I think it's taken me a long time to get there, if I'm being really honest, and I think that no one is like this all the time. Um, but... I am genuinely like this most of the time. And when you've been through the things I've been through, I grew up in a hostel for homeless families. I, by the time I was, by the time I was 16, I've been to nine different schools. I was uprooted. I was born in the States, came back here when I was two, went back there when I was seven, came back here when I was 11. I mean, my dad was a serious cocaine addict and incredibly violent. Um, I, I had an amazing mum who distilled in me such a sense of everything is possible. Mm. And I think you just, you have to hold on to the good things in your life because if you don't, the bad things will consume you. Mm. And overriding all of that is the people that I've had in my life through that journey. Because when the S hits the fan, <laughs> you need people around you who, who are really going to be there for you. And I know that especially when you run your own business, it can be really lonely mm. because just because you choose to do that doesn't mean all your friends do. I just got lucky. <laughs> I got lucky that a lot of my friends mm. chose to do similar things. Mm. Cha, we've loved chatting to you. You are 
a just a, 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 an electric bolt of energy. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in and giving us that on a Saturday night. We need it always. The amazing Charles Wasman, her book, How to Fix Your Bleep, is out now. Do go buy it. I am I'm stealing the copy that Emma stole from me earlier and taking it. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't bring one in for you. I'll have to come and do another wait. show just to see the puppy <laughs> and bring in more books. One, two, three, four. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.